John, you good? I'm good. Let's roll, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Right, folks. Welcome back to Build It, the non-league soccer podcast where we talk to non-league soccer people. Uh, I haven't got an introduction pre- prepared, but joining us this week for sure is the owner, the not the not the founder, just the owner, right, Brendan? Yeah, so, yeah, yes. yeah. The owner, right. co-founder. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, you do your own intro because I'm too lazy to have done it. Joining us this week is yeah, no worries. Brendan Jans, um, owner of Temecula FC. There you go, easy. I mean, you I like say the that. name. Nick, Nick, let's always let the guests introduce themselves. I They're way so. better at it than you, and they can pronounce things properly. Absolutely, yeah, in an American accent, <laughs> and the, yeah, they just get the hang of it, and it may, gives me time to not talk. Um, John's here as well. Hi, John. Um, hey, what's up? <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Um, could you start, I guess, just by giving us a very quick history um, of your time in soccer and how you came to be involved in a, with a soccer club, and then yeah. we'll talk about Temecula in particular. Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. So I always loved the game, have no idea why. From from a young age, it was um, always my happy place on the on the field. It, it it probably was. My parents got divorced when I was young, and um, not it wasn't a bad divorce, nothing like that. But um, always just found it to be very clear and fun just to be out on the field, even as a young kid. None of the world else around mattered. School friends, nothing, you know, you just played, had fun. And um, I was lucky to be very, very blessed with um, ability. And, and um, out of high school, I signed a professional contract um, and was playing with the uh, Galaxy's Reserve, Reserve team, which is back in the old USISL, which is Orange County Zodiac. Um, and played, played there for two years and went out to Boston um, which is a great experience played with, uh, alongside Steve Nichol and he was a player manager and, um, learned a lot there. And then they went bankrupt and seemed like everywhere I went, the team just went bankrupt. But, um, when I was there, a couple, a couple of players from, um, Northumbria, they were both in, um, uh, I know with Newcastle United's youth and stuff, and they mm-hmm. were involved and, uh, Ryan was scouting for Newcastle and, um, they, they were over in the U S and. Um, saw saw me in a training session, then saw me in a match, and asked, "Hey, if I'm ever in England, hey, come on over. We'll we'll sort you out, this, that, and the other." So, um, I was down um, actually training with Staines Football Club in London, um, and it wasn't going well. Like the weather, the pitch, like it, not that the the trial wasn't going well, or the training like that. It just like it was spotty. Like I'd be in a hotel for four or five days doing nothing, and then in Staines, you know, well, I mean. Out, 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 get, out, out getting a train, a training in and yeah. stuff like that. So it, it just, so I called them up and they said, okay, well, I didn't know them super, super well. Um, got on a, got on a bus because that's about how much money I had left after being in London for a couple of weeks and um, got up there and they picked me up like 11 o'clock right out of St. James, right in front of St. James park. And um, 
took me to their house, treated me like family, and I ended up um, uh, playing in a game against Middlesbrough for Scunthorpe like um, a few days later. Um, and then we started talking about some work permit stuff and um, found out that it literally was impossible for me to play football over there um, at a professional level because um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get a work permit. And But they said, hey, stick around, you know, play for our non-league team, um, jump in and start coaching with us, and we'll, we'll start introducing you to people and get your youth license um, or your youth badges. And I did those up in Edinburgh with the Scottish Football Association. And I would just bounce back, leaving the country every 90 days and then going back and going back and forth, so on and so forth, until I, you know, couldn't do that anymore. I was getting in trouble at the airports. Yep. One of those um, dirty immigrants, right? <laughs> pretty and much. I, like, I hey, feel well, your pain, I'll... trust me. <laughs> hey, if you don't have a job, and what are you doing over here? And how are you living? And all this stuff. Yeah. And finally, they just told me, hey, you better just stay in your country for a while. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be allowed back to the UK. Um, so I was scared of that. And my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, you know, we were going back and forth, this on and off stuff all the time. And um, decided to, you know, came back, get back on and Long story short, I got into coaching here in the U.S. with the youth, and that's all they really had in this Temecula area where I grew up. It was a horrible experience. I can't stand youth soccer the way that it's it's done. It's just all about money. Kids are just a tool mm-hmm. for all these mm-hmm. big clubs and um, the way they're treated and everything and the developmental process. Everything is completely wrong and backwards. And so after quitting like three different clubs, thinking grass was on the other greener on the other side. Um, I really didn't like soccer as much anymore, um, being in the youth environment, youth club coaching environment. So I just said, convince my wife, hey, can I take out, you know, some money from the 401k and start an MPSL club? And she said no. And, you know, then after a little while, she said yes. So that's kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been around now since uh 2013 so almost on 10 years and um we're now in a nice affiliate league southwest premier league um and yeah just trying to get out of the tail ends of navigating what uh covid did to small businesses really um which you know pretty much destroyed them and um you know for us not to be able to really play matches or be in a stadium or sell tickets or Mm -hmm. you know have to shut down shop and all this stuff was something to recover from and um but we have and now we're actually i'm working on with we funded to get more supporter ownership that was a real eye eye opener COVID, in terms of what if something would ever happen to me or financially um that the football club couldn't go on you know well if we have hundreds and hundreds of supporter owners well the football club will never die it might go through ups and downs but there'll always be stewards there to to keep it going so that's that's the goal now um get a bunch of a bunch of supporter ownership in and you know build that so way. Is that, that's where we're at is that community support as much as anything else like i mean for for all the good of a fan in providence rhode island or wherever right um and their money's as good as anyone else's yeah. they're not invested person physically in temecula succeeding right um so are you focusing more on the you know 50 mile radius for for memberships and ownerships yeah anybody anybody can invest invest from anywhere but yeah. I, like would never 
turn anybody away, no, you know, because not. a lot of people from outside the area are friends of mine or ex-teammates that I played together with, and they, they just want to support. Yeah, really, no, it's just, exactly. you know, or you have people that just want to, they like what we're doing. I mean, it could be as simple as they like our logo or whatever it is, and they want, and, you know, they've got spare two, three, four, or 500 bucks, and who mm-hmm. cares? Let me throw, throw, throw it in there. I like soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, but ideally for me is I have to look honestly and say, would I go to a game? You know, why, what would be my reason to go to a Temecula FC game? And there's really, it's really hard to justify a lot of it as a, as a, I would say of myself, it's like a purest love of the game. Absolutely love non-league football yeah. and going to those games and everything that it's about compared to going to a Premier League match, which are great as well. But, you know, we don't have, we don't have so many of those things that is great about non-league football. Number one, you don't have any promotion relegation. So the results of the games in all reality mean nothing. Like, except for maybe you get a win a trophy at the end of the year, and then you're in the same league this next year trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, so that's out of it. The games are not so, so, so important. Number two, you can't have a pint, you know, so you can't go get a beer and hang out like literally right on the touchline, you know, mm-hmm. hanging over, you know, enjoying, you know, the banter back and forth with players and supporters or whatnot. Yeah. Because we have to be at a high school field and then the optics of that with the football lines and the track around it weren't very appealing. Um, so there's a, there's a few things there that I had to look at as really, how do I get more people involved other than get them involved in skin in the game, part ownership, mm-hmm. feel that they have a voice, you know, yeah. come into the office, have a word with me, come into the store, have, have a drink, let's, you know, watch some games and tell me, mm-hmm. tell me what, what, you know, what you can help do for the football club. Cause everybody's got ideas and everybody can, has their opinions on, Hey, well, this will get more people to the game. Hey, this will get better players in the club. Hey, this will do this. This will do that. Um, but the reality is anybody that's been involved in this level of the game in the United States, like, you know, yeah. it's not, yeah. it's not easy. It's a grind. It's not. Um, it, yeah, it's a, a complete grind. And it's easier the more people who are grinding with you, right, which is kind of where you're at. But um, you've mentioned we, and it might just be the royal we of Temecula, but I'm hoping it's bigger than that. How many people are along with you for the journey, not in terms of memberships, but actually running and organizing the day-to-day club? Well, I, I do probably 99% of the day-to-day for the, for the most part. Um, but we do have a really tight group of support um, that is engaged every day. And then our staff, our coaching staff, or our youth, all the way up to the first team, uh, we communicate probably every 15 minutes through a chat um, daily throughout the whole day um, about everything. And then um, we have a couple really, really good um, supporters that mm-hmm. are very much involved in and out of the store every day. Um, so we probably we probably have right now, we probably have about 25 people that are now they're all investors as well. Once the WeFunder thing clears, um, but that are somewhat engaged in the club, trying to benefit it, trying to grow it, trying to help mm-hmm. the community. Yeah. 
All right, cool. Because all those those obstacles and roadblocks, you know, they they are kind of par for the course for American soccer at the non-league level, right? There's, it just yeah, it's just the the world that we move in. So, with the greatest respect, those difficulties are no different for you than they are for everyone else. It's just how you deal with them. And I definitely like the owner membership model is a very interesting one, and I'm sure John's got got questions to follow up on it because it is one of the more obvious ways of getting the community in whatever frame to to care about you and to care about the longevity of the organization so john over to you well no i mean i think it's I, i'm you know I me mean? i'm a sucker for uh, business structure at this level because i think there's a, a number of ways people accomplish success and some accomplish failure actually um but yeah, that's that. My my question is always, always things like you know you get let's say you have those twenty five investor, supporter owners or, or whatever that you know terminology is. Um, how do you how do you organize that day to day if you're doing ninety nine percent of the day to day now? Is part of your plan to reduce that by turning things over to some of these other owners, or are they writing a check and feeling like, yeah, I'm here if you need me, but I'm not like i'm not here for the day-to-day -day stuff you know where, where do you how do you balance management of that ownership group and those types of people well we'll see when it goes we we've only had a couple meetings because it's never really been it, it, nothing's official yet it has we, we haven't even started the paperwork hopefully we fund is going to submit the paperwork on friday and that's as long as i get all of the financials in and everything in um by tomorrow so I'll be working to get that all in tomorrow um, because we had to hit a $50,000 goal before refunder would even start anything. So we just hit that about a week and a half ago, I think it was. Um, so before, like, like I said, I only had one meeting um, and that was to try to gain more in investment and um, a little bit more engagement from the people that have already committed an investment. Uh, now, most of these people are, are business people. I'm not going to say I am. I'm extremely hardworking and passionate, but um, I'm hoping that the people invested, even if they don't care to do any day-to-day, -day, that they lend their knowledge of whatever business they're in or their ideas or just the, the word of mouth. So, so the way I look at it, so if, if, if I can get locally, just in the Temecula, Marietta, surrounding areas um, within a 20-minute drive, if I could get 100 people invested, most families in this area, because they're all families, have at least 2.5 kids. So you have a husband, you have a wife, for the most part, two and a half kids is what they say. If we have 100, then most likely every home game, we should clear 300, 400 people at a home game. Some people would be able to be missing this and the other. Now, if they're all able to now bring out a neighbor or friends or family members as well, and we double that, and we're now up to six, 800 every game instead of where we're usually like 125 to 750 people at a match. I, I've never been able to figure out why. One match we have a lot, some matches we have none. It's Southern California. There's millions of things going on constantly. Um, but if we can get a consistent number well then we can change how we do everything then we can look towards purchasing land knowing that hey we have a consistent 600 people 
coming to matches. This is how much stuff they're buying. If we had beer and more food on sale, this is how much more. Um, and then the things will pencil out, the business plan would pencil out if that makes sense. Um, ideally, getting to the point where we have a board um, and everything is voted on. Um, now, obviously, you know, if you want a business to move quickly and be able to, to do things, um, you, you don't want to vote on every single minor thing. But anything that's major with the club that could affect the supporters, could affect the, the investment, could affect the players, um, is, is something that would, would be a board decision. And that's, that's really, really the goal. I mean, and how I look at it being. Um, and then hopefully we can really affect change, you know, in our area um, and bring the culture that I was able to be a part of over in the UK and what everybody in the rest of the world is able to be a part of, we can bring that here to Temecula. Um, I think it's uh, something important. And, and geographically, Temecula is kind of out. Um, it's between LA and San Diego, sort of, kind of, but it's kind of out by itself. So you're a little bit on an island, like you're not in one of the big cities, right? So you, you can kind of have that yeah. community pride, right? Because you're a little bit isolated. Is that... I don't know the geography that well, but is that right? No, no, you're spot on, 100%. I think, I think we would have a better chance than San Diego or LA um, in terms of a lower league, a lower league professional team getting a, a good crowd and a good experience because of the fact that we would be the biggest game in town in terms of entertainment because in the end, a lot of it is just, entertainment family entertainment or um adult you know um you know having a beer you know watching a sporting event type entertainment and um i think we'd have a much better much better chance and when we were in the mpso we had the biggest crowds we drew the best crowds we have the best support and the other teams were in orange county la las vegas um arizona you know in major cities and we're out drawing them. Um, even our away crowd um, at most games is bigger. I mean, we're, we got to go up and play OCFC in the U.S. Open Cup on Sunday, and I got to think we'll probably have 200 more people than they have um, if, if they've got anybody other than just the girlfriends or wives of the players or parents. Yeah. Can I keep going, Nick? Please do. I like it when I'm you talk. Don't go. Thank you. Um, what so so again? I'm a, I'm a I'm a nerd. So this level of soccer is hard to be profitable, or at least uh, you know sustainability through finances. Not necessarily profitable, like line your pockets. What are your uh, yeah. What are your revenue streams besides obviously like merchandise and ticket sales? And have you found any other really cool ways to generate income? So we have. Uh... We have the youth all the way from like recreational starter little kid level all the way up to the first team. Um, and the youth is uh, part of the revenue source. And we don't, we're not like a, one of these mega youth clubs and we don't ever want to be. So it's not like that millions of dollars type, type of thing. Like, but that is something that keeps us steady um, because those are all 
fans. They go to games. They come in here to the shop, and they're the parents that buy, you know, a T-shirt or a sweater or a backpack for the kid or any of that, a scarf, so on and so forth. So the youth is definitely a, um, an area where it keeps us sustainable. Um, we've made a profit every year, so we haven't ever lost money. And I think that's really just because I don't, um, I don't have like a we luxury lifestyle or anything. I mean, one of my car is the team van. Um, you know, we rent our house, me and my wife and the four kids. We we have like one vacation, real vacation that we take every year. So we don't care about money. We not that we don't like it, and we would like a lot more so we can invest a lot more and do a lot more. But I think that's part of it that helps is it's not doing this just to make money, like you said, or whatnot. It's really just doing it so that it's sustainable growing, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. What's your, what's your annual, if you don't mind me intruding, what's yeah. your annual budget? What do you guys spend a year to run um, the club, especially like with the, on the adult side and competing in the Southwest Premier League now? Yeah, it's 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 better now, and so it's it's lower. So, but to for the for the whole club to operate um, per year is about eight thousand a month, and that and that includes that includes me. So that means that includes me being able to work this full time and pay car payments, phone payment, sure. rent, house. So you kids. you're doing this full time. What a luxury that would be, huh, Nick? So the things you can achieve for sure. Yeah, no kidding. So any other, yeah, no, any I live about sixteen hours a day. Yeah, I yeah, I know that non-league is uh, twenty-seven hours a day, eight days a week. Um, anything else like um, any other like fundraiser stuff you've done or anything like that 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 has helped move the needle to obviously generate eight thousand? And, and Southwest Premier League now plays. I was actually on a call with Matt Morse recently, um, okay, like yeah. 20 minutes ago. So I know Matt a little bit. Um, but you guys are a fall, spring. NPSL was a summer. Now you're, are you guys playing more year-round then? So we've always been year-round. So even in the NPSL. Okay. So in the NPSL, we on the West here had the longest by far season. We would start preseason in January, usually start February, March, and in July. Um, and then we would do – we've – put together a cup competition for all the local adult teams that are like in a league, not like a tournament in terms of the tournament, meaning just, Hey, throw a team in there, but uh, the Riverside County cup. So if you're in Riverside County and you have a team say like in uh, MPSL, where there's no more, none in that anymore, but UPSL, um, you know, the old PDL, USL2 or uh, like the Southwest premier league, um, any, any adult team that plays in the league, similar to like just entering the U.S. Open Cup, could enter in and play. And we would do that through the fall. So that was how we – that is how we do things in the fall to keep games going on, being able to sell tickets. And, and it's usually our biggest um, moneymakers um, to help, help with the revenue is the Riverside County Cup. And that was one thing that was always concerning to me is the MPSL, um, there wasn't as much of a draw in the crowds as we got in the Riverside County Cup when it was local teams playing because there was less interest. I mean, it's great a team's coming in from 
Arizona or Las Vegas or LA, um, Orange County. But, you know, when we bring a team in that's only 15 miles away and a lot of the players know each other um, because they grew up maybe in high school playing against each other, social media is different at that point. People then are saying, oh, hey, you going to the Riverside County Cup game? And now they know 100, 200 different little people that all know a couple of the players, and they're maybe playing on either side of the team. And it's, an, it's more interesting, if that makes sense. It's more of a story, um, and there was definitely more engagement that we got. And our Riverside County Cup is our, uh, I think it was 725 people. Um, it was one of our biggest crowds. Um, outside of doing kind of like a game against um, 1904 that we did, we had a decent crowd against them, like a friendly game. Um, but that's, that's how we stay year round. And we have the kids training year round. The first team kids are usually training year round. They take off a week or two here or there, but they usually don't stop either. Also helps if you don't have a Midwest winter, right? That's a, that's a huge win. But yeah, wow. such is geography. Yeah, I, I mean, that's got to be horrible. I we'll always talk with <laughs> some people. Like, Thank you. Yeah, rub uh, it in, Brandon. Rub it in. That's, yeah. No, I know. It's so, it's so bit miserable in Southern California. I know. Just looking at their average no. temperatures. Right about, I think right about now it's about 80 out there, John. 80. Yeah, it's too hot, to be honest. Yeah, I, I can make it 80 in my house, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I, 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 I became a good friend of mine, the owner of Duluth. is a really nice guy. and. Um, constantly discussing about how hard it is is because the window of being able to build actual support and drive sponsorship and drive all this stuff is so limited because sometimes they still have snow crazy snow on the ground in april and Mm -hmm. even though they have a good team and they have a good community and this that and the other it's just you know it's just hard to hard to do at this level you don't have like heated surfaces and you know, heated stands where people enjoy being outside, like, you know, when it's only 20 that's degrees not, out. That's and not entirely can... true. It's, it's all of our facilities are fully heated in July every year. So aside from that, <laughs> you're right. But we do have heated facilities for about 70 days a year. Uh, quite beautiful, actually, during that month and a half. Um, but but it is it is different. And something we struggle with, too, is how do you remain relevant in your community with a short a spring summer season or whatever it's it's mm-hmm. it uh, definitely stresses the uh you know the the brain trust to figure out how do we stay important how do we keep people thinking of us during the holidays and things like that so it's, it's definitely a, a struggle what is your uh nick i'm gonna nerd out for nick what is your marketing uh approach strategy um i i mean i follow you guys on on at least some of the socials and um i mean you guys always kind of putting yeah. stuff out are you, you doing all that yourself as well yeah, yeah. Um, it's all, yeah, like I said, 99%. Everything's me. Um, our our strategy or our idea behind it, if, well, for me, I like, I can't tell you. I've probably talked to or had at least 100 different marketers come in and meet with me um, and give their ideas. Hey, I, I like what you're doing on, you know, this and the other, but what about this? And I always say, come on in, please. I, I don't know anything about this. Come in, talk to me. Um, I'd love to love to learn. Let's see what you can do, so and so forth. And the main thing is still, I'll be honest with you, no idea in terms of why some of our posts get 
5,000 uh, reach, and some of them get like 12. And we've tried different hours of the day, different things. Um, but uh, one, one thing we have definitely found out, the more real we are, and when I say real, like, it's not like we spent 800 bucks to put a video together. And now we put that out on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, and that gets like a ton of views. No, it's, we, it's just certain things that catch people and go a little bit viral and, and people like it. Um, but the more real we found out that it is, not edited, not any of that, is what most people seem to like, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes Nick, an absolute Nick sense. sense. Oh, oh, oh Nick, my you, friend. You, yeah. you sent me that article about about the, um, the the new thing, right, with TikTok and everything is, is don't worry about quality of, mm -hmm. of the video production, but just get it out. And people yeah. want the, Rustic. whatever, you're, you're, yeah. yeah, they just want to see it. Yeah, bells and whistles. No, they don't want. They don't want slick. Um, and slick isn't your isn't our brand in non-league, right? If we were slick, we'd have marketing budgets, we'd have marketing professionals, we'd do it the MLS way, um, and that's part of the appeal. Yeah. And you know, for, certainly from non-league in the UK, right? Part of the appeal is it's mud and spit and coarse language and you know a little bit rough around the edges, and you can't sugarcoat that. And the American market yeah. is different, and you you've experienced that as well, but. It's still got to be authentic, and if you're if you're the, if the experience they're coming to is 200, 500 people huddled around um, in a blazing Arizona in a blazing desert sun, um, you know, watching some let's be honest, not great soccer, then you can't pretend it's anything else. So why would you? You just have to be. We are Temecula, and the reason you're coming here to represent Temecula, not because you love soccer per se. So yeah, yeah, they're absolutely they're absolutely going to chime with um, realism for want of a better phrase. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I'd, just to carry on the, on the marketing thing, I'm not surprised that they don't see any or you can't find any uh, logic in what works and what doesn't because the there is at this level the number of views that our posts get, and I mean ours collectively as non-league soccer people, unless you're old school Detroit or you know someone that's broken free um the the audience isn't big enough to to do anything on trend or to do anything predictable because there's not enough there's just not it's not big enough because 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 so yeah i would say just keep on keeping on like it's a completely um a time suck and if you're doing 99 percent of everything um I would encourage you to focus on one medium, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and just build from that. Um, but you know, this isn't a, this is a place where we lecture you. We want to know more about you. Um, <laughs> it's true. Your brand. Yeah, no, um, it's it, 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 no, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, we can, but let's, let's we're not going to. Uh, it's my podcast, so I call the shots. Your brand, the Quail. Um, I'm guessing the and again you can bore us with it. I'm guessing the quail is significant Temecula wise, but um, it's so simple, and yet it seems to have caught an awful lot of people's attention. I guess it's easily identifiable, right? It's not. I don't know. How did you? Why did you go where the way you went? Why did you go red? Why did you go with the quail? And were you expecting the buy-in that it created? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So very, very, very basic. So. 
there, there were two options when, so I met with an old teammate of mine, Vince, and we met at, you know, a Starbucks and I told him my idea, Hey, we need to bring a minor league team in here and so on and so forth. And then we started the idea of the names, right? Well, what I wanted was something that was very much identified to local Temecula. I love this area. When I grew up here, there were no traffic lights, you know, no grocery stores. I mean, I literally was swimming in the Creek every summer. I mean, we had the run of the whole area. It was, it was just completely different, completely different than it is now. And not that it's worse now, don't get me wrong, but I wanted something um, that really represented the community, especially because I spent so much time over in the UK with a lot of these small clubs playing against some of these small clubs, but they had massive history. They had they had so much history in these small little communities, these small little town mm-hmm. clubs mm-hmm. that I really I really enjoyed that. Like I I liked that very much. I much more prefer going into you know a damp you know mm-hmm. wet um, change yeah. than I did going in and playing against Middlesbrough. Now yeah. Middlesbrough had a brand brand new training facility just built, like the best one in the UK at that time. I think in two thousand and um too um and it was it was gorgeous but it had no charm it didn't have you know all all that so so i really liked that and i and i wanted that to be here something that represented this area so we had two choices that we chose from one was um the indians and you know my wife she's got some native american heritage and you know but that's always such a controversial topic People take it one way or the other, especially right now in sports and stuff. So we, I reached out to the local tribe, which is Pachanga, and asked, and they asked kind of what names we, would we think of using and stuff, and they just weren't really into it. So we 100% respected that, and we didn't do it. And then we went to the quail. Now, the reason why I went to the quail is everybody's got sharks, grizzly bears, you know, tigers, all these big, scary animals um, that are supposed to represent, you know, fear or strength or whatnot, right? And we didn't really buy into any of that being relevant for what we wanted to achieve, which was like a pure family, you know, type club. And the quail is local to the area, extremely fast. They're ground animals. They stick together like um, in a pack. And they're really cool, and they're the California state bird as well. And no one before us, we had, couldn't find anybody ever using it. So we wanted to be unique. We wanted it to stand out. Um, there's only one other bird, I think it's a partridge, that has um, the top knot, the feathers on the top of the head. So um, it was very, very unique. And everybody, right when we first put it together, it hasn't changed really since then. The only thing we changed was the ball. Um, and I didn't agree with it, but the majority of people wanted the ball changed because nobody in the U.S. could tell the difference between a volleyball and a soccer ball. So they thought we were <laughs> volleyball. But, so awesome. hopefully one day that changes and we can go back to the retro ball because it's my favorite and a lot of people still wear their old retro shirts because that's their favorite. Um, but that's what we went with. And in all honesty, like, our basic key with the bird and the soccer ball is by far our number one seller. And I can't, I don't know. I don't know why they just said they like it. It's cool. 
yeah no it's it's super simplistic i love it i'm not a branding expert in any way shape or form but yeah i i do like it it's simple and it's easily identifiable um yeah it's worked for you so hooray right um john anything to keep us going while i check my notes yeah hey my my big question uh for you brandon is is you're doing 99 percent of it on the day to on a day-to-day -day basis uh or maybe not even day-to-day -day, but month to month year to year what is the biggest struggle that you have in running a club well outside of money um because that would make a lot of lot things a lot of things easier because then you could hire people to do stuff um outside of money the biggest hurdle biggest problem is other soccer to be honest with you it's really sad but um i think other soccer in the community is the biggest issue without a doubt they in this area youth soccer is a big money maker um this is one of the reasons why i really didn't like youth soccer and i quit it so you have all these other local clubs and their coaches and stuff that will literally tell their kids you can't go to a Temecula FC game, um, you know, because they don't want to potentially lose their kids. So here's a great example. There's there's only one recreational program in the city of Temecula, and they have over 3,500 kids. Um, and it took us 10 years just for them to promote one of our games upcoming. Um, well nine and a half years they just did like a about six months ago or so um but their reasoning i sat down with the board multiple times i've talked with the president their reasoning is they don't want kids to come to the game and then want to play for temecula fc if you can believe that so that's why they won't promote us so they don't want to lose their business so which yeah and, and i know that's their their responsibility is to their business and you kind of kind of can't blame them for taking that initial approach so um how can you obviously in 10 years you've you've tried to open up lines of communication did when you started how long ago did you start your youth sides um i mean did, did going into competition with them essentially did that make it worse or was no it already... actually, yeah so here i'll go in, i'll go into that so when we first started we weren't going to do any youth we wanted to bring the community together. We saw the hatred with the youth clubs and the recreational soccer. Like I said, I grew up here. I coached for all the local teams. So I knew all of it. And I didn't want to be involved in that. So the last thing we wanted to do was start our youth. But then we had our first game and me and Vince, because he was still co-owner at the time, we're thinking we're going to get like a thousand people out there, man. And we're like, all right, we're, this is what we're going to do with all the money that comes in. We have these ideas and you know, we're going to be able to give everybody training kits and we're going to be able to get everybody jackets and we're going to be able to do this and rent a bus for our next game. And we ended up getting like, I don't know, 45 people came and a lot of them kids that were getting in for like nothing. Right. And so I go and then I start calling everybody that I emailed because I coached hundreds of kids in the area. So I knew all their families. And I called a couple that I know really well that I know would be honest with me. And they pretty much just said that our club and our coach told us we can't go to the game. Otherwise, we're not going to play on the weekend pretty much. And so once I realized that no matter what, we're not going to get the support, I asked a few of other people. And they said, well, their thinking is 
what you're going to do is sneaky is get everybody to start coming to the game and then you're going to start a youth club and take everybody away from everybody. So either way, we weren't going to get these kids. They're not going to come. We're not going to get the families. The clubs are going to pressure these parents. And a lot of people would think, oh, well, how can a club pressure parents? Parents are so scared that they'll get blackballed and the kid won't play um, because people do that. You know, I was at a club in the local area and literally every single one of our um, coaches meetings was nothing about development. It was all about, hey, if you see any of your kids at this other club's clinic, you need to tell them they can't go or they're not going to start on the weekend. You know, it's just that bad. It's, it's really not good. So then we started the youth. Um, and then we started getting bigger crowds out, good crowds, um, to the point where we had to move from the school we were at to another school because the crowd was getting too big. And we pretty much got got kicked out because there was trash in the bushes and people standing in the bushes and they found some beer bottles and this, that, and the other. So we kind of had grown that space. And so then we started going to the local bigger high school, not the private school. Um, so it, in a way, does it hurt? I don't think so. I don't think anything would have ever changed. Um, but it's potentially having youth could could hurt. I, uh, but there was enough, there's a lot of other things on top of that that come to the point where these clubs aren't developing any professional players, like none, not developing even top college players, hardly any. And we've got a local area of 500,000, you know, people within a 20-minute drive. I mean, Iceland's smaller than that. And for there not to be any players being developed, so we're not getting any first-team players out of this because none of them are good enough. So we also had to look at the fact of, hey, well, we need to develop players for our program. So we have, and since then, we've done okay. We've had, you know, I think um, eight players now go from our league at least up to the next professional level or higher. So either, you know, uh, NISA, USL, or MLS. Um, and then one's over in Europe. So we've, we've been able to do a decent job giving these kids first-team football opportunities. So that's important yeah. as well. You know, it's not just financial. So, so that's the marketing strategy that, I mean, I, I, I get it after you explain it, like, Hey, if, if, if there's no way they're going to get on board with what we're doing, then we're going to just take care of ourselves and pretend you don't exist. And, um, and then build, uh, you're, you're writing a better story for those players, essentially that when they age out of their, uh, under 19s at whatever the other club is, you know, yeah. Then, then they're, oh, come try out for our men's team, and oh, you're not good enough because they didn't actually develop you. And you can kind of write your own story then of success and moving on. And uh, I, I mean, I get it. It's every community yeah. is different. We've we've evaluated uh, things like that for a few years, and um, it is every every situation is so unique. And and the people running those youth clubs, and and even the people running adult clubs. I mean. You, you and I, you actually sound, your story is very similar to ours. And there's a lot of crazy people like me and you that actually aren't very good at what they do, but they just kind of keep moving forward. And so I understand why youth clubs would be a little yeah. reserved to sort of jump in bed with somebody like, you don't really know what, what's their long-term, what's their, like, what's their motivation. And, and, and I think that's uh, that's a really unique side of it, but I think you have an opportunity to tell those, those success stories and actually grow that youth side a little bit 
by saying like it ain't just about the money for us we actually back it up a little bit so again not telling you how to do your do your thing i just uh i think it's it's always neat to hear what everybody's dealing with yeah no just to just to echo that john. what john says i'd be shouting from the rooftops if you've got a pipeline where you've got one kid to the professional level what well, i'd be shouting about it i'd be giving updates on his career every single week if you've got five six or seven including mls um that's huge now they may have come from other platforms and just come through you for you know half a day maybe but claim it it's go crazy geez i wouldn't be wouldn't be sitting on that news at all that's you whether we like it or not you've struck yeah. a huge money maker at this level um and if you've got a tomatoela arm a youth arm then with the crudest way exploit it yeah, well, yeah okay so we, uh, we we agree and we do we do promote it but we also have a couple other things that we won't do so we won't tie in with mls um and that for parents is a problem um so we won't we we have been asked a few times one by timbers ones we were working with um fc cincinnati to do like a affiliate type thing out here um we start those conversations because i know people at um uh both 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 clubs um and other 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 ones as well but like that's not our well, I want to say I don't want to be a hypocrite, if that makes sense, and just get a MLS extra or next, you know, badge on the shoulder so we can now take in all these players, charge more money, and it be a financial benefit for the clubs because that's really what everybody else does. But also, we don't want them tied into the MLS and a closed system, and you know, all the, all that. If that makes makes sense, and then the, there is an MLS next youth program in our area and there's a few other within 30 minute drive so the parents don't know the game the mm -hmm. parents don't care other than that they want to be able to post on social media hey my kids at an mls next club yeah. if that makes sense no it, it makes so sense. i mean it makes no it, sense but it, it makes perfect sense yeah well because i mean it's hard they don't know anything and we we can post stuff and i can sit in here and talk to parents all day long Every, everywhere we sent a player, you know, and all the contacts we have and the people we talk to daily. Um, but they're For very... Christ's sakes, you're on this podcast. I mean, this alone ought to grow your youth <laughs> by 30%, 40%. I mean, did you hear Nick talk? He's from England. Yeah, out of authenticity. Exactly. Now, he's got a best, best, much better chance with it, with his accent. But um, the reality is, is that, like, for me, from what I've seen, you know, for over 24 years of being around the youth game, is it's so fragile. And when I mean what's fragile, it's not as much the youth game per se, but the relationship with the parent, the player, and the football club is is almost weekend to weekend. Um, and that depends on, you know, because they're not in it for the long-term development. Um, for the most part, they're in it for their weekend of getting a win and being able to put that on social media and their kid playing in the position they want to play the whole game not being subbed out and that's not <clears throat> realistic in development of a player and it's not realistic in development of any kind winning every single game by a lot um you know you need to lose just as much as you win you need to play better teams and if every time you're going to play a better team your best player is going to leave and go to that team or you have that hanging over you that because it happens every every game. If if we lose 
to another team. They're talking to the parents in the parking lot. And it's just like, this isn't just our club. This is every club has to deal with this. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's not like, it's not cut and dry. And I would say there's really only one way to get out of it. And that's something at the top happening with USSF changing it and, you know, building a platform um, that, you know, makes it more difficult, you know, for players to hop every other weekend to go loan for this team. Now go loan for this team. Now go play for this team and now go do this. Um, and the message should be local. You know, there should be very, very much like kids shouldn't be traveling more than 30 minutes until, in my opinion, until they're at least, at least 14, I would say even 16. And we've got kids driving an hour and a half at eight years old mm-hmm. going to play for these teams. And there's, there's a reason why there's such a big dropout rate. What eight-year-old wants to spend three hours on the road instead of, you know, spending those three hours in the street playing with friends or, you know, and that's all for the parents' dream. You know, that's all for the parents' ideas. Eight-year-old doesn't, yeah. doesn't know anything. So this is, this um, is bleak, isn't it? This is yeah. You you depress me, Brandon. I think the the <laughs> fun the fun part of it, like the thing that the the thing that keeps me motivated, and I think you too, because you you have the same passion as. Um, Nick and I talk about this all the time when we're not recording our conversations about the culture that doesn't exist in America. Um, you've seen it firsthand. Yeah. I also was very good in my playing career, um, but I didn't go more than 15 minutes from home. So I'll just, you'll have to take my word for it. Um, but I think creating the culture um, in, I mean, honestly, welcome to Wrexham, just like Ted Lasso, but oh. welcome to Wrexham being you know a little bit lower, like, that's opening non-soccer people's eyes to soccer culture. Like that is, that is one of the yeah. best tools out there for us to exploit as lower league clubs and say, look what it means to the people in Wrexham. That exists here. The only thing missing is all of you in the stands. Like that's, that's all that's missing. Yeah. Like we're already running a club in your town for you. We just need you to get on board with what already exists here. And let, let's start our 130 year history. And I know it's, that sounds really easy and it gave me a glare. Like it's like, that's the long game, but those are great things. Like to get the kids to just love the game and get the, get the parents to just love coming out and having a pint and get them loving the tailgating and all the things that they do with American football and, and that culture that is, is powerful here. How can we just tweak it? And say it doesn't matter what sport you're still tailgating you're still having fun you're still having a beer you're bringing the kids and the family maybe you know minor league baseball culture whatever um i think there's a lot of things we can draw from if we can just tweak and twist and i don't think it's too far off to just keep moving forward right and like correcting ussf absolutely there's things that could be done there but you're actually in the front lines and boots on the ground doing it in your town and if you know nick and i talk about too if you if you get 10 new fans every year you know in 100 years you're going to be in pretty good shape if you can keep sustaining mm-hmm. yeah no no i i agree we we put that question out about welcome to rex and will it will it help and i i think it's going to be extremely massive especially with the younger generation it could be if they didn't swear so much because unfortunately i can't watch it with my children so, oh, I say younger it, generation, like 20-somethings. 
I'm yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm young, 43. Young I'm 43. So, okay. yeah, so that's saying like those. And and even the and even the uh, non like just sports loving people that maybe watch Premier League still like on Saturday mornings, but they're not really soccer people. I think it just opens those eyes again. Like I, I I go back to like it's not it's not the highlights during the episodes of the games. It's the fan reaction that moves you, right? It gets you excited, like what it means to these people. And um, I think I think if we if crazy people like me and you keep doing what we're doing in our little communities, and I think I think there's a lot more crazies like us out there that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no reason we can't be there. We're just, we're comparing to 130 years of history and we want to be there and we're just behind because of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was interesting what you said about, about that, the, the, the turnout of the crowd when you were playing someone down the road or down the street or, you know, from the next county across rather than the name. Um, because clubs like ours, we can't survive, um, in this environment, in the current environment, and this isn't a pro-rel podcast, as we feel like we have to say every week, but we can't survive um, think, trying to sell the dream, right? Because we, that funding isn't there and there's no other way of getting it unless you have the funding. So our thing, and it sounds like your thing, is we are soccer in your community. Um, you, by coming to support us, you are supporting your community and trying to engender that community pride that um, outside of high school sport, doesn't or college sport if you're fortunate enough um just isn't a thing there's no adult community pride as far as i can tell in america not to denigrate america i just mean but if you can do this if you can give people a reason to be proud to wear the red bird on their jersey and to like to put the decals on their car and to walk down the street and go do the grocery run when it's not match day in their jersey um that's huge that's how we that's how the grain grows i believe it's not by you know Get to, it might be by ProRail, I don't know, but ProRail needs thousands of us before it can be a thing, I believe. But that's a rant for another day. Um, sorry, derailed it again. John, any <laughs> no, last, no, I agree. Yeah, uh, any last closing questions, John? No, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited uh, now that we've spoken, Brandon. I'm excited to follow you guys on your journey, and uh, like all of us, right, we try to take the best ideas that we see around the country from other clubs and. I'll apply those things uh, in our own communities and see what works. And I hope uh, I hope you guys will, uh, continue to succeed and, and keep growing and just keep kicking ass out there. I, I appreciate it, brother. It means that means it means a lot. It means well, a lot. There's, honestly, it's easy to be head down in the weeds and just think you're doing this on your own. And whilst you may be doing it in your own in the club HQ, and there may be no one within fifty or hundred miles of you feeling like you're doing it. There are, we're learning week by week, right, John, that there's more than enough across the country that something's happening. What that looks like, I don't know. But um, you're, not, you're not allowed. And by doing this podcast, we're trying to build networks and communications. What the Midwest League have done and the SoCal League have done um, and this affiliation, it's the Southwest now, isn't it, not the SoCal, but um, these, these affiliations that are growing – they didn't exist, right? We are building networks, building friendships, we're building support groups, um, and it's huge, and it can't be underestimated. Like, that old adage of like, it takes a village to raise a child, it takes, it's gonna take a village, it's gonna take the community to raise the sport, it just is. So, there you go, there's me pontificating. Yeah, no, 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 believe me, I agree 100%. I, <laughs> I've had massive, massive issues with, like I said on the board 
for the MPSL for eight years, and so many of the things were anti-soccer. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many things, anti, complete anti-competition and anti-soccer you know, soccer in terms of not having anybody, not allowing anybody to be around you. Um, yeah. And holding marketplaces and the market this that and the other no screw the market we're stronger like i don't know but i i live like an hour away from the um i it to me if and you know from being in england right i should be driving past 30 40 50 60 clubs to get to the i probably wouldn't go to the because there'd be more convenient places to go now but um it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be well you've got this market therefore that's yours and there's no one allowed within 50 miles of you because as we said, the community doesn't care what league you play, and the community wants to be beating the next town over. There is no bigger game in high school football than beating the neighbourhood high school, is there? It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not rocket science, but it shouldn't yeah. be. Maybe it is, and maybe we're just the smartest people in the room. Who knew? Um, Brandon, is there anybody else? Assuming you're now going to be listening to the entire back catalogue and subscribing to this podcast and listening forever forward, is there anyone off the top of your head that you would like on this podcast, like us to talk to? Uh, well, what do you guys look? What do you guys look for? I mean, I think there's, I think there's a ton of really good, good people in the game. In all mm-hmm. honesty, that are are really, you know, working purely to to benefit their community and the game. Um, but there's also, there's, I mean, there's also a lot of other, you know, interesting people to talk to and hear their oh, hear sure. their ideas. We, like, we've, we've spoken and to what, experts in volunteers and experts in. Excel experts in marketing, experts in sponsorship. Like I'm open. Like if if there's someone that is in your little black book of contacts that you think would be invaluable to clubs outside of Temecula, then you know we're we're all ears, and it doesn't matter if they're not soccer focused. We will talk to them. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, turn no, the I'm yeah. I'll I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, email, I'll talk to a few people, and then sure. um, and then get get them in touch with you 100 if they're interested. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, very much appreciate it. All right. Um. Brennan, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck with everything that goes on, 2023 and going forward. Um, hopefully, our paths will cross again. Paths, paths will cross again in the near, not too distant future. Um, Do you hear how he says contact? it, Brennan? He says it. He says it like paths. Paths will cross. That's because I'm posh. I'm posh. Um, but just, just apropos of absolutely nothing, Brendan. I asked you offline um, if there was any music you wanted to to. Um, play you out as it were um knowing what i know now about from your twitter feed about where you stand on the upcoming wrexham game um that's on espn in the cup um i I have the perfect song it's the perfect for me it's just perfect i think you'll enjoy it too so um even if you fast forward through the whole thing just listen to the last 30 seconds and i hope you enjoy the closing credits of this podcast thank you very much for your time my friend thanks brandon of course thank you have a great day take care Let's jump.